1: Nine oh nine on Lanyap Day—that's what I'm calling it, since we have an extra day instead of Leap Day—and I wanted to spend some time talking about this, even though I had to fistfight the staff in order to do it, because I think it's important that we understand why we think the things we think, how some people can convince us to think the things that we think, or to make us th- change our mind and believe things that maybe we really don't think are true and we're talking about logic and logical fallacies and how maybe it'll help you more confidently i guess maybe uh, evaluate the arguments and claims you you participate in and maybe you're witness to on a daily basis and help you separate fact from sharply dressed fiction and, and these things go back while we think it's the first time that we're, you know, because we're going through it, that we're thinking about it, and these are uncharted times, this goes back to the times of, I guess, Aristotle and Plato, et cetera. And with that, we welcome in Sarah Bizarro, a UNO philosophy instructor from my alma mater, UNO. Good morning, Professor. How are you?
2: Hi, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm well. Thank you for taking the time. I think I think this is a very interesting thing, and I'm going to ask you for some as we go through this morning. I would just leave any political person out of it. And I would just make it person A or person B, as we're talking about fallacies, because I don't want to prejudice somebody one way or the other to think you're banging on this one or that one or the other one. Instead, we're talking about, I guess, philosophy and the way people think, right? Logic.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, we we can start talking about the origins of this, like you mentioned, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. Would um, this you please? Really, yes, yeah. yeah, so it's at the core of the of, of this topic. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. So, uh, yeah, definitely fallacies are defects in, in arguments that are well-known. And Aristotle was actually the first philosopher who identified, um, you know, and, and tried to enumerate fallacies in a book called Sophistical Refutation. So, basically, in ancient Greece, um, starting with Socrates and up to Aristotle, there were these um, characters named sophists, and they would go around and teach people how to win arguments. So they would teach people to argue for anything, for any position, and they would also take money from uh, for doing this job. And Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, they both were against this. And so they would argue that the sophists were using both good and bad arguments and that they weren't in in good faith because they weren't searching for the truth. So Aristotle was the first one to make a list of these fat arguments that we now call fallacies.
1: So when you say sophists, that's where sophistry comes from?
2: Yes, that's where it comes from. All these—they so, uh, they, 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 they were real people up in Athens trying to make a living by teaching how to argue. They would teach— n- n- Politicians and lawyers and that kind of thing.
1: So they were hired guns, mercenaries, but in the in the field of argument, not battlefield or warfare, right?
2: Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay,
1: yes. well, you taught us something already. I didn't realize that. So. Um, <laughs> What are logical fallacies? And keep in mind, this is the the this is the, um, 101 course, Professor. The, 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 this is a guy here in the audience. I don't know that we know a lot about philosophy, although I want to invite the audience in at 504-260-1870 to ask any questions you have. That's the Oakland Heart Jeweler Talk and Text Line. And as I will prove, if I've not already proven, there are no dumb questions because— we, we we believe things, we are in a politically charged climate, but sometimes if we analyze what we believe, then maybe we'll realize that it could be a logical fallacy at play. Accurate?
2: Yes, definitely. So there are two kinds of fallacies. There are formal fallacies that have something to do with the structure of the argument. And I'll try to explain a little bit more with easy examples so everybody can understand. And then there's informal fallacies, and the informal fallacies are have to do more with the content of the argument.
1: Okay, so an example yeah. of a formal fallacy would be what? And I don't know if we want to pick a a topic that is apolitical, so we don't prejudice anybody. You want to make it about food or something else, and then we can use that I'll as make, a.
2: <laughs> okay. I'll give you an example. I, I, can I use you as an example? Absolutely.
1: I wish you would. I love to be <laughs> right. used.
2: Cool. All right. So uh, this is just one of the most common examples, and hopefully, it'll help sort of visualize what a formal fallacy is. Um, so. A uh, formal fallacy, like I said, has to do with the structure of the argument rather than the content. So one of the most uh, common formal fallacies are, is called affirming the consequence. So that means if you make an argument of this kind, all cars are fast, and then I say Tommy is fast, therefore Tommy is a car. That doesn't follow. Mm-hmm. You can see that it doesn't follow from right. that, right? Right. But if I, let's say I change the, the content of it, and I, instead of saying all cars are fat, I say all birds have feathers. And then I say, Tommy has feathers, therefore Tommy is a bird. And if I have a bird named Tommy, which I don't, but imagine that I did, that could all be true. But the structure is the same in both of them, and it's not a good structure. So it's when you say all A's are B's, and then you affirm B, and you take A. So the formal fallacies have to do with the structure of the argument rather than the content. And the reason why they are appealing is because we have difficulty looking at the structure. We always look at the content, so it can be confusing, and you know it can be used to confuse people. Let me go back it,
1: a little bit on that. Let me slow up a little bit here. So, what you just said about the content, we go to what, as opposed to just now, professor? You said we go to the content as opposed to the
2: the structure. structure. So that Yes. So the so in logic, when we teach logic to students, um, that that's what. What they learn how to identify. So one thing is what the sentences mean, and the other thing is how the argument is structured. Okay. So in the in the in the in the first, we can go back to the first case. Sure. So all cars are fast. Tommy's faster. For Tommy is a car. So if you, in logic, usually you would put some letters in there mm. instead of the sentences. So say all A's are B's. So, uh, you know, um, Tommy is a B, therefore he's a, he is he's an A. So that's the structure. But then you can plug in whatever sentence you want. And if the sentences that you plug in are true, people can be tricked into thinking that that's a good argument in terms of the structure as well.
1: As in so Tommy is a bird because you have a bird named Tommy.
2: Yes, so if I put that in, it seems like, okay, yeah, Tommy has feathers, Tommy's a bird. I do have a bird named Tommy, so that seems fine, you know. But do you understand what I'm saying?
1: Yes, ma'am. We're, we're off to a so, running start here. I like it. Keep going.
2: <laughs> so so this part, the formal fallacies, I think they're appealing. Well, they're not appealing, but it's just because it's confusing. It's difficult to discern the structure from the content, and so, you know, people are easily confused by formal fallacies um and then you can use it to make arguments that are not good when it when i say that arguments are not good it doesn't mean that the conclusion is not good it just means that that doesn't follow from the things that i was saying before
1: now what about an informal fallacy
2: all right so informal fallacies are the ones that are more common and that i think are more interesting uh and then maybe they're more the ones that you're thinking about right okay so yeah, so informal fallacies, I think there's a different thing underneath them. Um, they're motivated by us wanting to understand the world. So um, one, one easy example is the false dilemma. So it's when someone says, you're either with us or against us. Uh, there's only two options. You either do this or you do that. And if you're not doing that, then you're doing the opposite. So that's a false dilemma, a black and white fallacy sometimes it's called. That's one of the informal fallacies. So it's used and, by,
1: and let me go to the, um, the the reasoning behind it. People would use a false dilemma fallacy to try to get you off of the fence or urge you to not analyze exactly what you think and just explain that to me, professor.
2: Yes. So, so I mean, there's two aspects to it as well. I think uh, on the one hand, people are attracted by this kind of reasoning because we want to look at the world and find patterns and organize things a certain way. And so it's attractive to just try to organize everything as clearly as possible. And then because we have this natural tendency, someone who's trying to convince us of something can use this tendency to try to make us, Choose between two options. The answer, obviously, is to show that there's more than two options. So if someone just shows, look, you have these two, but you have three, four, five, um, you can fight the fallacy that way.
1: Now, in terms of classifying somebody as either a white hat or a black hat, a good guy or a bad guy, would that fall under the false dilemma fallacy or is that a different one?
2: Yeah, no, that that would definitely fall under the false dilemma fallacy because you're saying there's no third option. There's no in-between. There are no gray zones. And I think part of this, not only we we look at the world and we try to organize it, and this is what science does. We're looking for patterns. So fallacies are also attractive because there are ways to, to, to organize our experience, right? So when we're looking at the world, we're doing that. Um, but but it's also um, uh, hold on. So tell, tell me your question again.
1: The question.
2: Yeah, the, the last the last one
1: was about Just good the, white hat and black hat and making the sense. White hat of, and black yeah, hat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Heroes yeah, yeah. and villains. So,
2: uh, so, yeah, so we, we were more comfortable uh, uh, organizing our, our, our experience that way. What I was going to say is that we, I, I think one thing that's under all the fallacies is that we don't like what I like to call cognitive dissonance. So that's when something doesn't quite make sense. So if I meet someone and I think they're a bad guy and then I see them doing something that's not bad, that's some sort of. Dissonance. Like I, I, I don't, I don't understand. Okay, so I thought this person was a bad person, and now they're doing something that doesn't look that bad. So I'm I think we are uncomfortable with that. We don't want to have cognitive dissonance in our mind. Uh, that's a little bit. Uh, and disturbing. professor, so, if
1: I might jump in for a second, that is precisely why I wanted to have you on because we are in a country right now of cognitive dissonance where we want simple solutions to complex problems. There are those who will sell us simple solutions to complex problems. There are those who will say you are either with us or you are against us, which would be the false dilemma fallacy, right? And that I'm trying to make sense of this because I thought this was my man. I thought this was my woman, but yet this happened. So what do I do now? And then there are those that capitalize on that to further confuse us. And, and even to the point of you asking me what my question was, this involves deep thinking. So before you just jump on board with and speaking of that, we'll talk about the bandwagon fallacy when we come back and the straw man fallacy. I'm just trying to ask people to take a second and try to figure out why they think what they think and what they believe what they believe. And, Professor, I think you're doing a wonderful job of this. You might have me auditing your class before it's over. Zara Bizarro, UNO philosophy instructor, if you have any questions or comments, 504-260-1870. But this has everything to do with why we are where we are as a country and how some people, because it's hard and it can be challenging and you got to pay attention, Just waive their right to think and just assign it to somebody else and just jump in line with whatever they tell you to think. 922, Tommy Tucker, back in a flash, WWL. I'm going to tell you right now, I got to thank Garland Robinette for teaching me how to think. Working with him when I was traded after Katrina, he taught me how how to think, and... Um, Jordan Fiegel, our producer, taught me some things about logic that I didn't know. I remember Professor Sarah Bizarro, a UNO philosophy instructor at UNO being in an English literature class, and a professor said, well, that would be an example of post-hoc, proctor, hoc. what is it? Post-hoc, <laughs> yes. ergo, propter hoc. Wouldn't, don't, don't you think? And I said, sure, all the while thinking to myself, I have no earthly idea what the woman's talking about. But anyway... <laughs> Um, let's move on to some other fallacies. Let's talk about the straw man fallacy.
2: Yeah, so the straw man fallacy is one of the most famous ones. It is. It happens when we misconstrue someone's argument in order to take it apart in an easier way. So we say this person argued so-and-so, and we make it look really bad, and that's why it's a straw man. It's easy to take apart. Um, So that is used a lot, obviously, in debate and when you try to minimize what someone else is saying. So go through that one again? Yeah, so when you misconstrue someone's argument in order to make it easier to take the argument apart or to argue against. And
1: give me an example of that, and please feel free to use me.
2: All right. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, um, I, I don't know. Let me think of it for you. I, I don't. Well, for I don't anything, know for a you, movie, whatever,
1: <laughs> movie characters, TV, whatever. I'm just trying to let people understand
2: yeah. this. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So if, if, uh, someone's arguing for, let's say someone's arguing, let's see. The, the, well, like, let's go to the topic you were talking about this morning. If someone's arguing for, uh, having, um, more of, um, uh, of classes in order to be able to carry a weapon. You were listening. Uh, y- yes, I was listening. <laughs> Do you normally listen? So, yes. So, yeah. So anyway, so you can you can uh, you can um, um, misconstrue that argument and say something like, "Oh, that means you don't want uh, you want to take our rights to to." To carry a weapon, you know. So that would be misconstruing your argument, what you're trying to bring across, in order to make it easier for them to argue against you. And obviously that's not your argument, so it's it's an obvious misconstruction of your argument.
1: What about the appeal to authority fallacy?
2: Yeah, so appeal to authority is when you, instead of making an argument for something, you say that so-and-so said that or argued that. Um, it could be a person or a book or something like that. And that can happen in any field. Um, even in philosophy, I can say, Oh, a famous philosopher said this. So therefore it's true. That's an appeal to authority because I still need to explain why it is true. Would this be,
1: would this be, I don't mean to interrupt you professor. I'm sorry, but I could talk Mm -hmm. to you for like 19 hours about this. And we only have (laughs) 29 minutes left, but would that be the same as, say, a Jenny McCarthy talking about vaccinations?
2: Uh, yes, because that's well. In that case, it's it's an, it would be an, uh, someone who doesn't really know about the topic is considered just because they're an authority on in some some way, they're not the right authority to. Does to a,
1: appeal to. Does authority translate into celebrity or not necessarily?
2: It could be. So that's interesting. So there could be a, a, an appeal to authority that's relatively acceptable. So if I, if I appeal to someone who is like is, let's say, an experienced doctor that has worked for many years, and I say, well, this doctor is very experienced and he said that so-and-so, that's an appeal to authority. But if I'm thinking about a celebrity that has some medical advice but they're not a doctor that would be an illegitimate appeal to authority so and again, that happened a with, lot
1: during covid where doctors were coming out proffering opinions and they weren't really experts in that right
2: yeah so it can happen at, with anybody you know if, if if they're not expert in in that field then you know they're not an authority in that field but what I was thinking is that the the reason why this is attractive it's obviously because if someone does have authority in a field we want to believe what they say. Right. Right? So we have this so so then we see someone else who seems to have some sort of authority and so we might want to believe what they say as well because they have some authority, but maybe the authority is not in that specific field.
1: So that's incumbent upon us to vet whom we believe. And almost like you interviewing somebody for a job, where it's like, okay, I'm going to hire you to be my expert on this and advise me on this. First, let me see what qualifications you have. Accurate?
2: Yes, yes, definitely, definitely.
1: All right, let's talk about the hasty generalization. Is that a dog in the background?
2: Uh, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. I'm, 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 a, I'm at UNO. I'm oh. in my office. We're <laughs> very puppy
1: friendly. That's why I was asking the hasty, the hasty generalization fallacy. What is all that about?
2: Yeah, so that's when you generalize too quickly from not enough data. So you just have some information and you say, okay, then everybody is like this. Again, it's attractive because you can just make a conclusion and we don't really always have access to so many, you know, so much enough data to make our conclusions. So it's just an attractive generalization of based on like a limited amount of data,
1: like a false presumption. And I'm trying to think of an example of this of, um, I ate pizza last night and I got indigestion. So now I can't eat pizza or I'll get indigestion or am I messing
2: something up there? Yeah, no, that, that's a good hasty generalization definitely because you know, you, you, you You've only had one, in this case, just one. But even if you had, you know, how how many experiences of this kind do you need to have to make it a good generalization? It's, you know, obviously if you have pizza like five times and you have indigestion, maybe that's a good generalization. But obviously just one time. That's but from there enough. you would
1: have to analyze what's on the pizza, what glutinous, that, the other thing, right?
2: Yeah, so there might be something on the pizza. It might be that you put some peppers or something on the pizza, and that's what's giving you indigestion, not the whole pizza.
1: Slothful induction. What is that?
2: It, it, that's similar to, to the, the generalization because it's just, it's, it's just, you know, induction is another term for looking at the different examples and generalizing. So that's a, a similar, similar thing where you just generalize from, from not a lot of data.
1: You catch a red light two days in a row. This light is always red when it really isn't. Yes, you just think. It yes, is.
2: so yeah, so you just generalize without, you know, just because it's been it happened, you generalize it.
1: Is that knocking on the door of correlation causation, or is that different?
2: Yeah, so correlation causation is when we see something followed by another, and we assume that the first one caused the second one, and it it may be that it did but it maybe it's just correlation right so uh we we need again we need more more instances of that effect to see if it's really causally related or not
1: an example
2: yeah so i mean the, the, it's similar to all the ones you you've been you've been saying, like with the pizza. That would be a good example too, because you know, if if I have a correlation of I did something and then I felt something, then I think that it came from there. But I I I need to have more than just one example, and 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 to look deeper into what is the co- the, the causal relationship between one one. In the next
1: one, somebody texted in about postdoc ergo propter hoc. You can talk about that when we come back, if you don't mind, so we can help sure, people sure. understand why. Professor, I appreciate your time. Like I said, you'll be me to find me hanging out in your office, just bugging you with questions forever. Now, 9:37, 23 till ten. We're talking to Dr. Sarah Bizarro, a philosophy instructor, about why do we think the way we do. And, and sometimes, why do we just, because of cognitive dissonance, why do we lazily give up the right to think or our abilities to think and just let somebody else do it for us? Traffic now, WWL.
0: Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app
1: 9:42:18 till 10, talking to Dr. Sarah Bizarro, a UNO philosophy instructor, about why do we think the way we do, logic, why do we believe what we believe. And somebody texted and said, Tommy and Jordan, your shows are so enjoyable. Tommy, you are always a delightful host. Great job. Well, I had to fist fight Jordan to get this one on, just so you know, because he thought I, I was getting a little too ethereal here. But I, I don't think we are, because I think, Dr. Bizarro, when, when you get right down to it, I think a lot of the problems that we have in this nation are are based on people that are kind of lazy when it comes to thinking and analyzing it. And I, and I would include myself in that sometimes. It, would you think that's true or not? Or am I making some kind of logical fallacy there?
2: <laughs> no, I, I I think it is it is true because, but I don't think that's something so new. I guess now maybe it's more exacerbated, but like I said, it already existed two thousand years ago in Greece. That's so, true. Um,
1: that's right i did i I start by saying that and then i say it's it's a part of what's going on today um when it comes to um postdoc ergo propter hoc that i mentioned earlier that's a latin phrase explain to me what that is
2: yeah so that that means after this therefore because of this so it's a similar thing to the to considering that the cause of something is just you know what happened next so uh, that is also a tendency to just interpret the world in a way that makes sense. I think all of these are are just natural tendencies because I look at the world and I want to understand it and I see something following another thing. And so I think, OK, that's what caused it. That's a normal uh, tendency. But if we jump too quickly into that conclusion, we would be falling in a fallacy into a fallacy.
1: What, what would an example of that be?
2: Um well I, I like I'd like to give an example of like my fa- my favorite fallacy which sure. is a, a bigger example of this kind of fallacy it's called a Texas sharpshooter sharp fallacy. You're you are reading ahead. You're <laughs> reading ahead
1: professor. I was getting to it. Go ahead.
2: You're going to get there. Yeah. All right cuz that is my favorite one uh and and it kind of it's a more of a generalization of all of these. So um I will uh it's it's usually inspired and uh in um sort of a story about coincidences between uh, JFK and Abraham Lincoln's Mm -hmm. assassination. So I'll give you some examples. You probably have heard this before, and maybe some of the listeners have not. Uh, So here are some coincidences between these two events. So both of these presidents were killed by uh, assassins uh, with three names John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald. Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. They both were killed on a Friday. They were sitting next to their wives. Lincoln was at a Ford theater. Kennedy was in a Lincoln theater made by, uh, was in a Lincoln made by Ford. So they both were succeeded by a man named Johnson, and Lyndon Johnson was born in 1908, while Andrew Johnson was born in 1808. So the question is, what are the odds? This seems too much, too, too much coincidence in, you know, to, to be explained. How do we explain all these coincidences? All right. So then the Texas Sharpshooter fallacy explains. Why do we find these coincidences? So the Texas sharpshooter fallacy is the following. Imagine there's someone shooting at the side of a barn, and they just are just shooting randomly. And then at the end, when they finish shooting, they go and look for the best cluster of, uh, you know, of shots. And then they paint a target around that cluster. And then they claim, look, I'm a very good shooter because, you know, I hit this target So, you know, in such an expert way. So basically, that's what's happening in these kinds of coincidences. So whatever, when you want to find some similarities between two events, there's millions of facts related to those events. So you can just pick the ones that that are the same and then point those out, ignore all the other ones that are not the same, and say that there's a relationship between the events.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Would it be similar to, um, and I had an example just now, and Jordan typed something funny in the screen that made me laugh, and I forgot exactly what I was going to say. It was, um, oh, oh, when, when um, you think you're psychic because you think of somebody and then you hear from them two days later, when in fact, you, and you think that means something, but in fact you've thought of 10,000 people and that was the only one I called and that's the only one that matches, so you presume from that that there's some kind of psychic connection when in fact there are more people that you thought of that didn't call than did.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So you just pick the things that coincide and ignore all the other ones. And then you can always find some connection.
1: That being said, there is a middle ground fallacy as well, right?
2: Uh, Yeah. So there there, there is a middle ground fallacy as well. The middle ground is not always the answer, right? So, uh, you, if you just think, okay, it's not too much, not too little. I mean, for instance, this fallacy can be understood to can be used to understand conspiracy theories, right? So, because when you when you look at the world and you pick certain coincidences and you say, okay, there's a conspiracy underneath that, well, uh, often there there isn't a conspiracy, but it might be. Sometimes there is a conspiracy.
1: Well, you just because you're paranoid that doesn't mean you don't have legitimate
2: enemies right yeah that could that could be the truth so the middle ground is not always the answer uh, you know so I, I think that's that's an interesting aspect of this as well um, although although the conspiracy theories it's it's kind of interesting I think because where philosophy just really starts with asking questions and not taking for granted the things that things are presented to us so that can be Taken to the other side of like okay so if I'm not taking for granted that I could go into c- conspiracy thinking very easily because I'm not taking for granted how things are uh, 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 you know presented to me but that's also too much on the other side so I don't know I think the middle ground fallacy it's yes it's it can be a fallacy if there is something on the extreme that is true. But it can also, middle grounds can also be a good position to take.
1: And when we we get to conspiracy theories, that kind of goes to burden of proof fallacy in a way, right?
2: Yes, yes, definitely. So the, the conspiracy theories. I think there's a couple of aspects of it. What, so so one on one side, there's definitely the Texas Sharpshooter. The looking for the data that confirms what you're what you're saying. Ella,
1: the Lincoln Ford, Ford Lincoln Kennedy, and all that yeah. stuff, right? Okay.
2: Yes, yeah. So you just look for the things that that match your theory. But then another aspect of the conspiracy theories, I think, is that because it's a conspiracy it's a belief that is fail safe because any other example that someone brings against your conspiracy theory you can just say well you're part of the conspiracy mm-hmm. your this is information that you know the conspiracy puts out there so that so you never have to abandon your beliefs so i The way I see conspiracy theories is the ultimate avoidance of cognitive dissonance because you can always keep your belief, no matter what other people say or present, uh, because of the aspect of it being a conspiracy. You can always interpret that as part of the conspiracy, so therefore you keep that belief. And I think this is very attractive today. Maybe my explanation is maybe because um, there's so much information out there and people don't know what to trust.
1: Tell me about the burden of proof fallacy.
2: Yeah, so burden of proof fallacy is if if um, if, if if someone if someone p- proposes that something is true, uh, and I can't prove that it is false, I'm asking them to. Um, since you can't prove that it is false, then it is true. That's my, my part of the argument. So if I can't prove that your conspiracy is false, then it has to be true. And that's a fallacy in itself. Does, do, do you know what I – do you under- Yeah, I, I understand reason? exactly what it is, and, and having
1: had discussions with people that are way down the conspiracy rabbit holes um, – it's it's kind of like, well, okay, inevitably, Professor, it seems to shift to, well, prove me wrong. Well, no, I'm not going to spend five hours documenting or five days doing the research and, and documenting and sourcing all of this material. And then when I do, you're going to say, well, sure, you would say that. You're part of the conspiracy, right? We're right back to where we started?
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly, You've got it right right there. That's, that's, the, that's the problem with that, because the, the feature of the conspiracy includes that say fail-safe thing where you can just always say, yeah, you got that from this source that's part of the conspiracy. So,
1: Too quickly, I want to get to the no true Scotsman, which Jordan Fiegel told me about, which started all of this, so he can thank himself for that. Or I thank him <laughs> for that because it's been an absolute joy talking to you. What is the no true Scotsman fallacy?
2: Yeah, so no true Scotsman is a kind of moving the goalposts fallacy when you make a generalization, say about a group of people, and that they be act a certain way, you know, and then someone gives you an example. Look, this person's not that way, and they're but they belong to that group. So you say, oh, they're not a true Scotsman. Ah. They're not a real. You know they're mm-hmm. not a real member of this group, <laughs> so that's a way to avoid, uh, again, avoid cognitive dissonance because we don't like that. We want to be able to keep people in the in the boxes that we've created.
1: And we got to talk about ad hominem before we let you go.
2: Okay, ad hominem is when you attack a person instead of their argument or their views. So uh, you can say this person's just a bad person because they did the X, Y, and Z. So I'm not going to. Reply to their argument, but because it doesn't matter who they are, they might have a good point in the argument that they're making. So you're attacking the person instead of attacking the argument. And this happens a lot, obviously, in political debates and so forth, uh, where people attack the person rather than their views.
1: Professor, I know you teach a philosophy and film course. We didn't even have time to talk about that. I hope we can have you back at some point because I'm a big film buff. I thought I think this has been a fascinating hour. I appreciate your time. You should teach this for a living because you do a good job of it. Oh, wait a minute. You do. <laughs> thank you. Have a great day, Professor.
2: All right. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate your Bye. time.
1: Professor Sarah Bizarro, I hope we helped you analyze a little bit of why you think, what you think, 953